Guys, uh, tonight, uh, well, let me introduce you to a book that I read years ago called The Friendless American Male. You know, that's a problem among men. Um, we're not known to be uh, great uh, friends. Well, there's some people, some men over here tonight that I'd love for you to meet and uh, begin a relationship in terms of friends with them. So, gentlemen, come be with us. Let's correct this. Let's, um, let's uh, get to know some other men who share the same views of Jesus Christ that I do. Um, and um, maybe even sign up for a grace group on your way out as well. Gentlemen, here's a way to um, uh, eliminate this as a problem from us, for us forever. Now, the, the other thing that I wanted to do before I read my text is, you know that I've been trying to convince you, I'm not sure I've done it, uh, trying to convince you that the Christian church is a creedal church. That is, we believe certain things. We're not, um, we're not in the same church because we share the same political party or the same socioeconomic uh, position. We're here because we have a commonality in Christ. And so once a month, we try to just emphasize those things that are at the core of our commonality. And we do it through the Apostles' Creed. Gang, if you've got some questions about that, why don't you uh, start coming on Wednesday nights? Because I'm addressing the Apostles' Creed on Wednesday nights. At this point, however, I would like to ask you to stand with me. And we're going to quote this thing together. If you, if you don't know it, it's in your bulletin or it's up on the screens uh, behind me. So, my brother and sister in Christ, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead, I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thank you and be seated. If, um, if, some of that's un, uh, if you're not sure about some of that stuff, come be with us on Wednesday nights. We're going to discuss it for the next few weeks. Now grab your Bibles and open them to John chapter 7. By the way, the bulletin says Jonah. But I hope you noticed, I hope you know that Jonah does not have seven chapters. It only has four. And we'll get back to Jonah in the middle of, uh, and finish it up in the middle of September. But this morning I'd like to read to you from John, and it does have seven chapters. So let me read you the first 12 verses of John 7, and then um, one other verse later on in the chapter. Guys, uh, the gospel of John is much loved and much studied and much preached. People know the Gospel of John. John 7 is one of those places that they don't know as much about as they know of other chapters, like John 4 or John 6 or John 10 or John 13 or John 15 or John 17. <clears throat> those chapters we seem to know well, but John 7 has a little um, item in it that I, I want to pursue with you this morning. So you follow as I read from the first 12 verses and then verse 37, and it reads like this. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now, the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea 
that your disciples also may see the works you were doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The Lord cannot hate you, or the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. And after saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he is a good man, others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. Now verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures forever. I think you can see that um, at the center of the story unfolding in John 7 is a feast, the feast of the booths. You're going up? No, I'm not going up. You're going up now? Okay, I'm going to open up secret. You know, and, and then in the, on the last day of the feast, he, um, he makes a statement that we'll talk about in a minute. But at the center of the, of the story is a feast, a feast of booths. You ever heard of that? You know what that is? <laughs> I want to tell you about it this morning. And I, I think, you know, the scriptures don't use words needlessly. That's in here. That specification of the feast of booths is in here because it has some, um, some application for us. Now, let me, let me try to, to set the stage for really what I think is the, the, the heart of the text, which is verse 37. In verse 37, that's where he uh, issues an invitation and makes a claim, and we'll, we'll try to cover that before we're finished. Um, but let me, let's, uh, let's talk about this, this feast stuff for a minute. Guys, um, did you know or do you know how long the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ uh, lasted? Well, of course I do. I mean, everybody knows that Jesus had a three-year ministry. Really? Three years. Yeah, it was three years. Well, how do you know that? Well, there's no text in the scriptures that says uh, that he had a three-year ministry. How do you know it's three years? Well, I agree with you. It was probably three years or at least part of, one, part of three years. But how do we know that? Well, here's how we know it. Because of the feasts. <laughs> there are three different Passover feasts that are mentioned in the Gospel of John. John 2, John 6, and John um, 13. Um, and that was an annual feast. And because there were three of them, we conclude that he had a three-year ministry. Which draws us into this discussion about feasts. And as you see, uh, if you'll notice there, it is the Feast of Booze that is mentioned. What is that? Well, let, me, let me tell you something about it. Guys, the, uh, there were, in Judaism, there were six feasts. They are mentioned for you, and maybe not described in full, but they're mentioned for you in Leviticus 23, if you ever want to look. Um, there are three of those six feasts that were held in the month of Tishri, the seventh month of the year. 
Tishri was quite a busy month for feasts. Um, the feast started on day one of uh, Tishri. Tishri the first was the, um, was the feast of trumpets. That's where they had this long trumpet blast to call people to prepare because the biggie happened on day 10. Day 10 of Tishri. Tishri the 10th. On Tishri the 10th, it was the Day of Atonement. Leviticus 16. A whole chapter dedicated to discussion of Leviticus 16 or of the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16. That was on day 10 of Tishri. But on days 15 through 22, on the 15th of Tishri through the 22nd of Tishri, it was the Feast of Booths. Now, you know what that was? <laughs> it was a, a seven-day observance where everybody in Jerusalem was supposed to build this temporary leafy structure in which they lived for seven straight days. They, they built these things out of palm branches. And so they were supposed to move in for a week. And um, the purpose of the Feast of Booths was a celebration of the faithfulness, get this, it was a celebration of the faithfulness of God uh, to Israel when she was going through the wilderness and how he met all of her needs. Now, don't you think that's a bit ironic? They've got a, they've got a feast going on in here in Jerusalem celebrating the very thing that we have seen that they doubted. Remember Exodus 15, Exodus 16, Exodus 17, Numbers chapter 20? We've looked at those four passages, and on all four occasions, <coughs> they were doubting whether God was faithful. And so fast forward, uh, you know, several centuries, I, I guess, and the great-great-grandchildren of those people who wanted to stone Moses and Aaron are now celebrating the very thing that their grandparents doubted. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Isn't that some hypocrisy for you? Here they've got a feast going on, big eye, big thing going on, you know, and everybody, yay, for God's faithfulness. And oh, by the way, I think it was my great-great-granddaddy my great, great granddaddy that wanted to stone Moses. We're celebrating the faithfulness of God here. Oh, that's the very thing that your great-great-granddaddy doubted. That's, that's somewhat of the scene that you get here in John 7. A ceremony taking place in a temporary housing with, you know, leafy things. And uh, they're talking about the, the faithfulness of God when what we've read out of Exodus 15, 16, 17, number 20, is that they doubted that. Folks, um, that's, a, that's some wholesale hypocrisy going on in, in Jerusalem at this moment. Wholesale hypocrisy. Oh, yay, God and his faithfulness. But, you know, my parents and grandparents, they never believed in that. In fact, what they asked is, is God among us or not? Remember all that? Well, that's what they're celebrating here in John 7. Um, but folks, that's just the start of a very ugly setting. Did you see it? I, I tried to read most of it, but we didn't read the whole chapter because it's too long, but did you see some of the, I, I, I tried to, first of all, verses three through five. Did you see that? Okay, we got a, we had citywide hypocrisy going on here. <laughs> but not only that, we've got 
Jesus' own brothers that don't believe in him. And maybe even wanted him dead. Did you see that hinted at at the text? Do you see it? Jesus said, I'm not going into Judea because they want to kill me over there. And then his brothers say, why don't you go to Judea? What were they suggesting? Hey, why don't we get rid of him? Well, just go to Judea and they'll kill you over there. Is that, is, that what they, is that what was intended? I don't know. By the way, I will say this. Rome has a position of the perpetual virginity of Mary. Well, it says here that he's got some brothers. And unless they were virgin born too, then Mary wasn't perpetually a virgin. Okay, but that's not my point. The point is that his own family wanted him dead or didn't like him, certainly didn't believe in him. But lest you think that's all the ugliness, oh, there's lots more. Uh, The Jews clearly wanted him dead, and you're told that in verse 1 and in verse 19, the Jews wanted him dead. Um, So he's got a physical family, doesn't like him, doesn't believe in him. He's got a spiritual family, an ethnic family, they they want him dead. And then um, we're told in verse 7 that the world hates him. Um, verse 20 says people were accusing him of having a demon. Um, and then verse 32 tells us that they sent out armed guards to arrest him. (laughs) And then, um, he's accused in verse 15 of being some kind of second rate theologian because he didn't study with us. Now that's going on. In Jerusalem at the Feast of Booze. Yay. And he shows up on the last day. And in the midst of all that hatred, all that rejection, all that opposition, I mean, wouldn't you want to kind of lay low? You know, not draw attention to yourself? But he does just the opposite. We're told in verse 37 that in the last day, Uh, The feast, you know, the closing ceremonies, the great day that Jesus stood up and cried. Now, I could cry this out, but I won't. I mean, but the text does say Jesus cried out. That means he shouted. He just didn't whisper it. He, he, He turned all the spotlights in on himself and he said, If anybody thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now, guys, let let me tell you why I think that is so utterly profound. Um, Okay, Jesus is on the last day of the feast, right? Do you see that? Um, uh, So they have just spent seven days in leafy temporary structures. Um. And um, as a result, they're feeling pretty good about themselves, religiously. Because we just went through this thing, and, you know, I just, uh, I just did some real, some, I just put on display some real sacrifice, you know, in the name of my religion. Um, Jesus is speaking to that crowd. Okay? All of those people who, they, who think that they've really accomplished a lot religiously um, into the midst of 
the hatred, the opposition, the rejection, and what's worse, the worst of all is the self-righteousness. Did you see what I just did in the name of my religion? Why, I, uh, I built a booth. And you lived in it for seven days? <gasps> my, my, you are really, um, you are really one spiritual fellow. You know, guys, um, when I was, uh, when we were in Baku, uh, Azerbaijan, in July, uh, I was on the, the, um, the metro, the subway thing there in uh, Baku. Susie was not with me. I think she was napping. Um, but I, uh, I was out enduring the heat. But anyway, sitting across from me on the, on the metro was a person wearing a T-shirt. And the T-shirt had a picture of a Wi-Fi signal on, um, on this side and a picture of a slice of pizza on this side. And the caption underneath it, the words underneath it were these. I don't need you anymore. I mean, I got the internet. And I got pizza. I don't need you anymore. Um... So people are coming out of their booths where they just put on a display of all of their religious excellence and Jesus stands up in the midst of them and says, if anybody's thirsty, if anybody's got any spiritual needs, come to me. And they look at him like, I mean, he's got a demon. Do you not see what I just accomplished? I mean, I, my, my next door neighbor, he didn't stay in his leafy tent but about three days. I stayed seven. Um, you tell me to go do something in the name of my religion and boy, I'm ready to do it. I'll show you how religious I am. If it says seven days, I'll stay in it for seven days. And once I've completed all of my religious accomplishments, then I'm feeling really good about myself. Yeah, oh boy. <laughs> I am one satisfied. I don't need you anymore. I got the internet and I got pizza. That, ladies and gentlemen, is self-righteousness. Whatever needs that I may have had, both temporally and eternally. I can meet them myself. I don't need you anymore. And to that audience, Jesus stands up and says, if any man thirst, thirst? What the heck are you talking about? I don't have any thirst. I mean, if, I, if I'm thirsty, I'll go down to that place and get me some water. I don't need what you've got to offer me. Because whatever needs I've got, 
I can meet them without you. Now, guys, here's something that you need to know. Let's do it again. There are six feasts in the Jewish calendar. Three of them were to be held in the spring. Three of them were held in the fall. Um, There was the Feast of Trumpets, called to prepare for the really biggie. The the, the biggest of all was the Day of Atonement. Um, Leviticus 16, the whole chapter is dedicated to describing the Day of Atonement. Do you remember the Day of Atonement? Do you remember that one? The Day of Atonement was the day when the, when the high priest got all dressed up in these strange garments, had a turban on, you know. And um, he went back into the place where he only went once a year. You know, there was that big veil and separated the holy place from the holiest of the holies. Remember all that? And so the turban, I mean, he put his turban on and he'd go back there with blood, you know, in a little, uh, in a bowl. And, and he'd pour it on the Ark of the Covenant. Remember all that? And did you know that they had a, a rope around his ankle? You know what the rope was for? The rope was to yank him out of there in case he died and God struck him dead back there in the holiest of holies. You know, they put little bells on the hems of his, uh, of his robe so they could hear him moving around back there. Uh, you know, just make sure he's still alive. And, and if the bell stopped, well, maybe we better yank him out, you know, because he might be struck dead back there. And then he came out, and, and then there was that little, that little feast, that little, that little um, a ceremony where they, they took all the sins and they put them on the, remember, scapegoat? Remember that? Put them on the scapegoat and then send him out in the wilderness, separating our sins as far as the east. You remember all that? That was the Day of Atonement. That was on day 10. Day 15 through 22 was the Feast of Booths. Now, are you ready? Do you realize, ladies and gentlemen, we have absolutely no record in the New Testament that the Day of Atonement was ever observed? All the way back to the times of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. We have no record in the New Testament that the Day of Atonement was ever observed. Oh, the Passover was. Oh, the Feast of Booths. Whoa, we love that Feast of Booths. Oh, yeah, my religion is a Feast of Booth religion. You tell me you give me something to do, and that's the religion I love. Because the religion of doing, the religion of um, human accomplishment and human performance. Oh, you should have seen my booth. My booth was the prettiest booth in all of Jerusalem. Well, you know, I got some really fine leafy things out in the woods, and I brought them in. Because, I, you know, uh, you asked me to do something, and, and boy, uh, and I, I really do that. And then seven days later, once I've accomplished all of my human, human goodnesses, <laughs> then I'm feeling really good about myself. But the Day of Atonement? I don't know what you're talking about. We've never had a Day of Atonement. A Day of Atonement. Well, why would you want to have a Day of Atonement? Because you see, the Day of Atonement has to do with sin. And I don't like to be confronted with my sin. Also, the Day of Atonement suggests that that my sin couldn't be paid for by me. 
No, no, no. Somebody else had to spill their blood in my place, and I don't like that. Because you remember my T-shirt? I got a Wi-Fi, and I got a piece of pizza over here. I don't need you anymore. Day of atonement. Who wants a day of atonement? My religion is more akin to the Feast of Booths. Because at the Feast of Booths, I get to appear very religious in front of my friends. And I get to impress my friends with all of my spiritual accomplishments. And everybody in my neighborhood now knows that I'm one religious fellow because I built me a booth and I stayed in it for seven days. But very frankly, I don't know what you're talking about with this Day of Atonement stuff. You must have a demon. Or maybe you, you're not a very with-it theologian because you didn't study with us. We don't do that anymore. Because that has to do, that confronts me and faces me with my sin. You tell me something to do and I like that. That's my religion. But talk to me about my sin and the need of someone else to pay for it. Put me down for, I don't need you anymore. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it is to that audience, fresh out of their booths, he came on the last day, did you see that? Closing ceremonies, everybody's taking down their booth, they're packing up and going home, all of my religious display is over, and in front of that audience, who also hate him, he says, if you just came out of that vain religious display and you're still thirsty, I mean, if after those seven days of trying to prove your righteousness, you are ready to admit that you need a Savior, then come to me. So, ladies and gentlemen, here's what I would suggest. On the day that this takes place, there were in his audience people who hated him, rejected him, opposed him, wanted him dead, think he's got a demon, think he's some second-rate theologian, and they want to arrest him. I would suggest that there are people in this audience like that too. I don't need him. I don't want him. I think this whole thing that you're all exercised about is, I think you've got a demon too, Dr. Young. I think the whole thing is crazy. 
Because, you see, I got the internet and a slice of pizza. I don't need you anymore. All of the needs that I have, both temporally and eternally, I can meet myself without you. And to you, he says, if all of that performance stuff has left you empty, then come to me. Not to Mary, not to the priest, not to your own obediences. Come to me. Come to me. You know, ladies and gentlemen, what kind of man in the midst of that kind of hatred and opposition and rejection looks at his audience, turns all the spotlights on himself and says, I'm your remedy. Who does that? Well, C.S. Lewis had an answer. His answer was this. Somebody to do something like that He's either a liar or he's a lunatic or he's the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, seated in this room at this very moment, there are people and you have one or you have one of two religious approaches. Religious approach number one, the feast of booths. Tell me what I need to do and then get out of my way while I I go do it. And I will then be one satisfied dude. Or a religion of atonement. Where the big issue was my sin. And the remedy provided for my sin is this one that the world seems so to reject. My dear friend, nothing will damn you quicker than the Feast of Booths. Self-righteousness. Nothing will damn you quicker than the t-shirt that says, I don't need you anymore. All of the needs that I have, I can meet. So, what you have in John 7 is is a separation between two religions. It all separates at verse 37. You've got the religion of the booths. And you've got the religion of a savior. One that says, you don't need a temporary leafy structure. No, no, no. You need a permanent refuge. And so if you've recognized that, then come to me. And drink. Our Father, I I do pray that you will expose every 
particle of self-righteousness that we bring to this room. Oh God, there is nothing more damning to the soul than to look away from your provision in Christ and look to our own performance and finding comfort, not in the Savior, but in our performance. Father, would you, um, would you open men's eyes to see the beauty of Christ Jesus, the one who in the midst of all the hatred and all of the rejection stands up and cries out, I'm what you need. And that booth that you just left, leave it behind forever. Because your permanent refuge is in me. Oh God, might all who hear this this morning find their safety. Not in something that they built, but in something that Jesus Christ has done for them. Do that, oh God, for Jesus' sake.